the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 480 for Sunday, December 22nd, 2013. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Out, the show where you send in questions, tips, cool stuff found, and holiday cheer. We turn that around. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share tips of our own. We share cool stuff found, and we share holiday cheer. Here from Durham, New Hampshire, where it uh, was snowy, then rainy, and now is getting icy while we're recording the show for you. I'm Dave Hamilton. <laughs> and here in Fairfield, Connecticut, where. Uh... It's about 60 degrees today, Dave. Is it really? Wow. <laughs> Not a record high, but uh, I, I think it approached a record high. So I'm like, wow, I, I feel bad for the critters because I think they are all confused. But anyways, yes, in fearful Connecticut. Well, warm. happy, happy fearful Connecticut. Uh, John Efron. Happy first day that gets slightly longer because that's what today is. Right. Well, the the the, the, the equinox s- thing, right? So, uh, solstice, solstice, equinox. winter solstice. I'm sorry. E- equinoxes you're, you're are in the fall and the spring. That's right. Yep. So the days start getting longer. That's good. Very unexpected, though. I mean, I saw people scrolling no, 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 the, about the solstice. Sh- is, the solstice was very expected. It happens almost like clockwork. Well, I'm talking the. I know, I know. People, <laughs> I people know. running around in their shorts and stuff. I saw some people in shorts today. I was like, <laughs> not so, something I've often seen. But yeah, enough about the weather. What, what, what's what, what's happening? So if. If uh, if you were to visit squarespace.com slash MGG, you would be visiting our first sponsor for this show. And that is obviously Squarespace. If you need or even want to put up a website, this is one of the simplest ways I've ever seen to do it. And I've been creating websites for a long time. And uh, it, you can and you can still do this today. You can make it a really difficult process. Right. You, you know, hand coding HTML, FTPing files or even, you know, potentially worse, although I'm not sure if it's worse, uh, you know, uh, SSHing into a computer and and uh, and editing files with something like VI. Right. I mean, you could do that and you could put up a killer website that way or you could visit Squarespace.com slash MGG and start building your website graphically right there on the Web and when you want to say drag a picture in, you just grab a picture off your desktop and drag it into the template that's already there. And you can customize these templates. They have really beautiful templates and every one of them is, uh, you know, optimized for like full desktop screens all the way down to iPhone screens and everywhere in between. They have, um, you know, designs that react to uh, the changing screen sizes and different screens and make your content look really good everywhere. Uh, and I, I have firsthand experience with this. I, I put my my Dave the Nerd dot com blog is a Squarespace blog and I use it constantly. Uh, I have used Squarespace for uh, an e-commerce site that we we put together quickly. I mean, I did this in an hour uh, for the band. One of the bands I plan, we did a show in the fall and we sold tickets online and it works. It just worked great. They They partnered with Stripe, a payment engine, and the whole process to building the website, getting integrated with Stripe, all of that was like an hour. I mean, it really was. Uh, it was not two hours. I'm not. I'm not even. You know, 
I'm not, I'm not exaggerating at all. It might've been 67 minutes, but, uh, but that's about it. It, it really, and, and the stuff just looks good. It's easy to use. Their backend is simple. The best part is you visit squarespace.com slash MGG. And that way they know we sent you and you start building your website. Then once you've got things going, that's when they ask you for your name and you create a login. Uh, and then you've got two weeks from that point to muck about with things. And once you're ready to buy, then you can use coupon code and it's, it's the 12th month of the year. And these guys use different coupon codes than our other sponsors. So I want to make that clear. Uh, you use MGG one, two, because it's MGG 12. Uh, and, and that way they know that you heard this spot and you, um, and you get 10% off with that coupon code. So uh, not only does it let them know that you heard it here, but you get 10% off whatever you buy at that point. So check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Uh, like I said, I use it and I, I, I can't imagine something simpler than that. So, uh, so check it out and, uh, and we'd appreciate it. And I know they'd appreciate it too. And I think the best part is I think you'll appreciate it. That's the most important thing. All right. Uh, Robert had a question and Robert says, uh, he was trying to run, um, a, a new version of handbrake on his Mac. And he said, but handbrake doesn't work in Mavericks. And it was, it was part of an email exchange. And I said, what are you talking about? I run handbrake in Mavericks all the time. And uh, he sent me a screenshot that said handbrake.app can't be opened because it is from an unidentified developer. And then it goes on to tell where handbrake came from and all of that good stuff. And the only option you have there is okay. So in that sense, <laughs> you're right. Handbrake won't run. Uh, what that, well, that's user hostile. It, it is user hostile. That's right. Well, but it, 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 it's, it's part of the gatekeeper function, which came in mountain lion uh, and obviously still there in Mavericks. And the point of it is actually to be friendly to the user or to keep the user safe from running apps that are from developers that have not identified themselves and registered themselves with Apple. Doesn't mean that they have to sell the app through the Mac app store just means that they Apple by default, your machine will not run apps from developers that have not uh, got a certificate from Apple. That's that allows Apple to know who they are. Right. It's not signed. I think it's not what, signed. What it's telling you, well, it's like, well, it's right. not signed. So you may want to question where right. it came from, because I guess signing is both the developer and Apple saying, this is something that you can trust. Right. Well, yeah, more so it's Apple says we know who this developer is. They have they have proved their identity to us. Um, and 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 there's some benefits there. But there's a difference between Apple saying this is an app from a developer that we know who they are and this is an app from a developer we don't know who they are and Apple saying you can't run this app. Uh, and that's what happens by default when you try to do something like this. Thankfully, though, Apple doesn't make it obvious to you, the user, there is a way around it. The easy way, the one time exception way is to simply right click on the app and choose open. Uh, I know that doesn't seem any different, uh, but it will bring up a different dialogue. It will still tell you this is from an, an unsigned or unidentified developer, but you can choose to run it. And once you choose to run any single app, that same app will always then run. Even if you just double click or put it in your dock or whatever, um, different apps will not. 
if you want to universally change this, you go into system preferences, you go to security and privacy and in the general tab, which is the first one that comes up. There's an option that says allow apps downloaded from and you have three options. And if you choose anywhere, then basically that turns gatekeeper off in that sense and um, and 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 won't bother you at all. Uh, I leave mine on the, the middle setting, which is Mac App Store and other identified developers. And then when I get something like Handbrake, I just, you know, and it warns me, I say, oh, no, that's good. Uh, it's it is a nice safety catch that you're you know, you know, you're running something that Apple hasn't had a hand in um, verifying. But, you know, I just right click on it and I kind of move past it. So it, it is good to know that right click and move past it trick. So that's why we yeah. share that with you. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's good because the Apple is counting that if you know the secret handshake, which we just told you, which is the right click, you can get past this. But I'm with you, Dave. I have the same setup because I I'm uncomfortable allowing everything to run. Yeah, without without having to, I, I yeah I like the secret handshake. It 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 gives me it it makes it makes it so that I am intentionally running these things that may or may not want to run on my system. Yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't think to anybody, I mean, if if you want to live dangerously, sure, <laughs> you can have you can totally disable gatekeeper. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think either of us recommend that. Right. Right. No, I don't. Right. I don't. All right. Another interesting thing came up that has come up before, but I don't think we've discussed it on the show. But we've heard about it from several listeners um, in our in our email conversations with you. This one was listener Gray saying that. Uh, he was at the ter- it was at the terminal and needed to use the sudo command sudo, uh, which, as we've discussed, allows you to run uh, whatever command you type after that as uh, a fully privileged root user or administrator. And when you do that, the system puts up a password dialogue and you type in your password, uh, but you don't see any of your characters reflected back at you. So. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a blind thing and, and that's done for security reasons and it's normal. It's fine. He was saying that he was trying to type his password. It kept telling him that it was wrong. And he even went and changed his password to make sure everything was synced up. Right. That didn't fix it. Still telling him it was wrong. And thankfully we'd heard from plenty of you about it. So I was able to help Gray with the solution that one of, uh, uh one of our other listeners found. And I wanted to share this with all of you. Text expander is often, if not always, the culprit here. And the reason is when you're in the term, normally, if you're if you get a password dialogue up, text expander turns itself off so that it doesn't get in the way and automatically do some expansions while you are typing your password in the terminal. Text expander has currently I don't know if it's possible for this to change, but currently it has no way of telling of knowing that the terminal is asking you for your password and therefore uh, it does its expansions as though you, you were just typing. The problem is a, you don't want it to do that. And B because the terminal doesn't echo your characters back to you. You don't suddenly see that you've typed, you know, 15 characters where you thought you typed two. And that uh, is what was causing the problem. So uh, the solution is to just temporary to temporarily disable text expander and, and then it worked fine. So I figured I would share that tip with you so that if any of you run into that, uh, you know exactly what to try and hopefully it would work for you. And we will point. I think the folks at, at Smile know this, but uh, we're going to point it out to them so that 
they uh, they at least are aware of it. I, again, I I'm not sure there's any way for them to be able to sense that condition and and disable themselves. But it could be that when you launch the terminal text expander could pop up for the first time, at least when you when it goes to do an expansion at the terminal and say, hey, here's this scenario. So, you know, there's a, there's an idea for you folks at Smile. We'll share this segment with them. And then, John, you had a question. Yeah, Dave, I was so excited. So they just came out with OS 10 update 10.9.1. Isn't that awesome? It is. <laughs> and even awesomer is that it included an update to mail app. Well, what I call mail app, mail.app. Yeah. Right. Apple Mail. And that's all, that's great because I think you and I both acknowledge that they kind of screwed some stuff up with <laughs> Mavericks Mail, yeah, <laughs> or the the version of of Mail that initially came out with Mavericks uh, had some serious issues with, uh, I think mostly Gmail and, and some other issues. So they came out with the update, Dave, and I was so excited. So of course, you know, uh, I applied the update, and everything seemed cool. And then I launched Mail, and I got this dreaded dialogue saying, "Up, oh, you know, some of your plugins aren't." So I, the 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 essence of the dialogue I have in front of me, but 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 the essence of the dialogue is, you know what, some of your plugins I. Uh, they're not certified to run or this new version of mail does not acknowledge them. So, you know what? I'm going to disable them. Right. And I'm going to toss them in this, uh, in this folder for you, which actually where you're going to see this happen, I think is uh, let's see. If you look in your home directory, library, mail bundles, uh, it'll put it in a, a disabled folder and you will lose the functionality. Now, in my case, Dave, I have two plugins that I run that were affected by this. One is Signature Profiler, which yep. I love to death. And the other is Spam Civ, which I still use because I like having secondary spam detection. Sure. And both of those got put in the disabled folder. And oh, the, the what prob- a pain in the neck. The problem because is then once the developer comes out with an update because the plugin's yes. not active, you don't get the auto update notification. Uh, so it, it's a it's a it's a spiral that never ends. And right. So what normally happens is I had to wait for the developers and they did not immediately, though, within a day, both developers did release new versions that had, which I guess I'll call a signature that was compatible with the new version of mail and everything was good. But I temporarily lost the functionality. And to me, that's that's bad. bad. So here's here's what's going on. Starting, I, I think, with Lion. Um Apple decided that developers, they didn't want developers just releasing mail plugins and then forgetting about those and users trying to use them in future versions of mail without the developer having said, yeah, I've tested this on my end and it works in this version of mail. I guess Apple was seeing a lot of support calls saying, hey, mail is crashy like crazy. And when they finally dug into the bundles and they realized, well, you're running this thing from like, you know, three years ago. Uh, maybe that's the problem. It hasn't been updated. So to enforce this, what Apple did is they made it so that, as John said, every bundle that's installed inside mail has to have a signature for it that matches the current version of mail, which means if you update mail before you update your plugins, even if the updates are out, they, they don't even have a chance to run and check for an update to themselves because mail says, Oh, my signature's not in there. It's out. Thankfully, there are ways of putting your uh, putting the current version of Mail's signature into the plugin. 
and and then mail will run it. And you can do this from the terminal. Uh, it's sort of a convoluted process because you have to extract the signature right. ID from mail and then put it into the right file. GPG tools, John, uh, you'll notice yeah. that did not fail on you because they have a launch uh, launch DP list that runs at every boot and they call it a self healing thing. All it does at every boot is it just adds the 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 ID from mail if it's not already in there. So it, it sort of it does this magic that that would happen behind the scenes. It does it right then and there on boot up. So GPG tools is sort of protected from this as long as there's a reboot install uh, as part of the process. Other mail plugins don't do this. However, there's a great piece of software that I found uh, a couple of months ago called mail plugin fix from code 2 knet And we'll put a link in the show notes and that goes through and takes all of your plugins. It shows you all of your plugins that you have uh, that have been disabled and it lets you say, yep, Please re-enable these. I'm willing to live with the chances. I know the developer hasn't certified this yet, but I want to re-enable it, and it will go through and do that magic for you. So uh makes life way, way easier. So there you go. Yeah. Mail plug and fix. Yep. Thank you, because that's always been an aggravation. Because, yeah, as you pointed out, there's a way where if you know the right formula, you can, yeah, through the terminal, come up with the signature or UUID, I think it is, or good or whatever. Yeah. Some code, but if, if it's not there, then yeah. Because actually what happened to my case is that actually because uh, SpamSiv was disabled, it actually filtered all my mail <laughs> into my spam folder. Oh, right. <laughs> until I re-enabled it because That's right. the, the problem is the rule was still there, but the plugin wasn't there. Right. And the rule says, hey, check all mail and, you know, put it in the spam folder. So. Mm-hmm. Minor inconvenience, but uh, it's good stuff. No, I needed I needed that uh, mail plugin fix when I was uh, running the betas of Mavericks because every beta version had a new build of mail and developers right. had to, and developers were pretty good. At least, you know, Scott, uh, Scott and Scott, which are the two that I use. I use uh, um, uh, signature profile from Scott Little and mail act on from Scott Morrison. And they were both pretty good about staying up to date on that stuff. But sometimes I would get the update before, you know, out of sync. So that was a I I did it. I did it from the terminal far too often. But uh, but now I don't have to. So that's good. All right, John, let's move us on to Stephen, shall we? I think it's Stefan. It could be Stefan. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. S-T-E-P-H-A-N. Yeah. Okay, And I'll try to condense it because he he, he sent in. I'll I'll see what I can do because, you know, I'm I'm good at brevity. Yes. Yes. John, you are you are known for your your dulcet tones and your brevity. Correct. All right. So Stefan writes, I have a question for my two favorite geeks and the only geeks I would trust with my Macs. And that's very sweet. A few days ago, I bought a new iMac, a new 27 inch iMac. I had originally purchased it with eight gigs of RAM from Apple, but immediately removed the RAM and replaced it with 32 gigs four 8-gig chips from Crucial before I'd ever booted the machine. Upon starting up, the RAM was recognized immediately, and the Mac has been running perfectly ever since. How is that a problem, you ask? Well, it isn't, but here's my question that i really love for you to weigh in on, and I'm sure many listeners have and will be in this situation. In your opinion, when doing a RAM replacement or upgrade, should I run a comprehensive RAM test uh, in order to ascertain that the memory is working flawlessly? And I think maybe I'll I'll condense it. That's uh, fine. Yeah, past that, and then I'll go to the final question. So so then uh, so there's some more stuff here, and you may have something. And I'm almost certain you have something to add here, Dave. I um, do. Wait. 
but his questions are, do you recommend I run a camp? Uh, number one, do you recommend I run a comprehensive RAM test? Uh, number two, if so, what utility would you use and how to run the test so as, the, so as to test as much as the RAM as possible? And three, do you think there's any concern with doing this? And here was my take on it, Dave. So I replied, personally, I don't see any need to do a comprehensive RAM test. Just make sure that you go with a vendor that understands Mac RAM and can provide you with the proper size and speed for your machine. Uh, Crucial, who he bought from, is someone I trust. Uh, OWC is another that I've used in the past, and I trust them. So I would say that just make sure you get a vendor that understands Macs and understands you know, the right type of chip that you need. Um, but the reason I say that I don't recommend it, Dave, is because the Mac already does this at a high level. And maybe you'll agree or disagree, but uh, the, the Mac does uh, actually two types of tests here. Um, and they have, uh, you know, I love these things here at Dave. Apple has a wonderful support article telling you exactly what they do to test your RAM. And there are basically two things that uh, two things that'll happen. So once if you start up the sh- the machine and actually um, one of our listeners, uh, Stacy, actually went through this. So she actually said, I got a new computer and I want to and should I go to the the, the uh, Apple store to have them install? It? And I'm like, no, because I actually sent her a link to surprise yet another Apple support article that tells you how with her model iMac, how to replace the RAM. And she ran into some of the uh, things that the Mac will do to tell you if you didn't get it quite right. So modern Macs will do two things. So um, one, you will either get, um, uh, as the article tells you, you will either get a combination of tones or blinking LEDs that happen after what's called the post or power on self-test. And in my opinion, Dave, if your machine starts up and you do not either see blinking LEDs or hear tones, then I would be okay with, the RAM that I just installed. Huh. Now, as a little sideline here, the thing is uh, what Stacy ran into. So apparently she, the, the, this was the first time she did this. She actually ran into the situation where she installed the RAM and I suspect that she probably didn't get it quite seated properly. And one of the things that'll happen is you will hear three beeps when your machine starts up, basically saying, uh, yeah, something's not quite right here in the memory department. You may want to check it out. So that's my take is that the Mac does a high level test. And if you if you don't hear beeps or blinking LEDs, uh, you're good to go. But I, I, I would invite your take on this, my friend. I agree with one of those two statements that the okay. Mac does a high level test. Absolutely. And, and it, no. <laughs> okay. And if there is an obvious uh, problem with the RAM, like a, a chip is not seated and it can't even see all of the RAM, then it will tell you there's a problem. Your second statement of if you don't hear any beeps, then you are good to go. I completely disagree with. Um, oh, well, okay. because it's not true. Uh, and I don't say that to, to be uh, overly aggressive. I say it from experience. No. It is the, the test that Apple does on boot is as you said, very high level and and very and not at all comprehensive. It does not try to read from every, you know, when we used to have those old uh, IBM PCs, the, the XT or the AT, you'd actually see it count RAM when it started and you could tell it to do the long test if you went into the BIOS, but it took forever. And that was on a machine with like, you know, a meg of RAM or something. Right now we have gigabytes mm-hmm. of RAM. 
it would take a long time to test all of that comprehensively. And when I say comprehensively, I mean reading from or writing to Ram and then reading from it and making sure that it is addressable, changeable and readable. Uh, so the systems don't do that when they start up. They don't go through every bit of Ram and check them. Okay. So okay. and I've seen this where, you know, a machine runs, it boots and then weird things will happen and you can have a bad chip. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Ram tests, it, it is a, especially when installing third party Ram, I do highly recommend maybe not the no. day you install it because it takes a while. It, it sometimes will take hours to do a, a test of all of your memory, but it is a good way. Memory tends not to go bad for no good reason. So if the Ram is good, the day you put it in, unless you have some sort of power spike, <laughs> it's going to stay right. good. It, you know, there's no moving parts or anything to wear out. So uh, what I do when I get a new Mac, okay. or, uh, even if it has Apple RAM or if I get you know third party to RAM, me, I, I agree with you. A lot of hardware, including memory DOA, you either get it where it's dead on arrival, which I think in the industry we refer to it. Yeah, it's DOA. The memory came, it's busted and it's not working. But uh, right. uh, go on. I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Uh, and you're right. So what I do, and I again, I don't necessarily do it on day number one because it takes hours. But usually within the first week or two, I'll remember, oh, yeah, I got to do a memory test. Uh, and, and it's just a nice way to confer, to check your sanity three months down the road or three years down the road when the machine starts acting funky and you're like, well, is the Ram bad? You know, I don't know. I never tested it. Well, now I did, you know. So I used to use a piece of software called MemTest and you do it from the command line. I would boot into single user mode and, and you could run MemTest from there. Uh, that I don't believe that works under Mavericks anymore. It used to be part of uh, Applejack, but I don't, and I don't even think Applejack runs under Mavericks now, um, uh, but I haven't checked. Uh, I did, however, just find um, the, um, and I'm checking, I, I'm doing two things at once, which I shouldn't be doing, but I was checking to see if Applejack uh, works in, <laughs> under Mavericks. But So you'll, you'll check that, John. It's applejack.sourceforge.net. Um, I was checking something else. But okay. So <laughs> just relevant. I did, I did notice this week, I got an email from Micromat. They released tech tool pro version seven, and it has a built in memory test. So that might be reason enough to, uh, to go check out, uh, um, tech tool pro. So I don't, I don't have it yet. It's a hundred bucks for the, uh, for the full version. Um, but uh, and I haven't tested it out, but having a memory test in there, it is I, again, I, I just find it a, it a nice thing to confirm my sanity, either at the very beginning, you know, just to get a baseline. But also when things start getting funky, it, it trying to deal with bad hardware, especially RAM, uh, it, it can get it can get funky. So uh, so it's nice to have All something right. to just well, test it. Well, I want to be clear here when you say funky. Which I know you're the funk master. I am. At least you're, you're a musician, so you're funkier than I am. That's right. <laughs> though, I, though I play sax. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and I was looking this up, but I haven't looked at, in, into this in a while, Dave. Is another thing is that there is something, and I still think it exists, though I haven't run it in a long time, called Apple Hardware Test. Yeah, that doesn't test the RAM well either. It does. It does uh, okay. more. Uh, it of a does. Test uh, it, I know the that boot. they have a short test. That yeah, yeah, yeah. So it does more than the power on self test, but it's not as comprehensive as some of these other tools, which I think totally go through all the memory and read and write and and check things. But I'm thinking 
Apple hardware test, which I believe now, and I guess on the latest version of Macs, and I haven't run in a while, Dave, but my understanding, again, looking at the Apple Sport article, they say that if you start up a recent Mac and you hold down D, it will run. Yep. Um, Apple hardware test, then one of the tests is for memory. So, um, but, but I guess getting back to my ri- original question is what, when you say funky things happening, um, I would say a kernel panic is probably the funkiness you're talking about. I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you get a kernel panic, I mean, a lot but, of the but not, things but in a kernel not, panic screen are incomprehensible. Yes. But I would say if you, if you get frequent kernel panics, it may be due to memory, in which case you may want to do a comprehensive memory test. Yeah. Kernel panics can also be just a bad driver running. I mean, it could be, a, a, you know, a lot of things. But if you're getting in, incon- and this is true in general, um, I find when troubleshooting, if I can consistently reproduce the error, it's more often than not a software problem. And if I can't, if it's an inconsistent error, that more often than not is a hardware problem. There are exceptions to those rules, and I have lived exceptions on both sides, and and, and it's it's normal. It's maybe you know seventy percent true, but um, but that there you go. So, yeah, right. And I think the final recommendation I made is make sure you get it, and I believe both of the vendors that I mentioned. Uh, so, so you know, crucial OWC. Um, any others that you you prefer, Dave? Um, those are my favorites. Yeah, those are the ones I trust these days. Uh, I don't know enough about the new um, the new owners over at Ramjet. Uh, I have oh. not exp- I have not tested their Ram since since the company was was um, was bought. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's bad or different. It may, be, in fact, be the same thing. I just don't. I have not tested it since uh, last year when they when they uh, when Aaron sold it off. Right. So make sure. And I think almost all of these guys offer a pretty decent. Uh, I'm not sure if it's lifetime, but a, a, a decent warranty. And if something's wrong, they'll, they'll if Ram doesn't come with a lifetime warranty, don't buy it. As oh, we said, okay. well, there's a, most vendors offer it because Ram doesn't go bad. So there you go. Unless, well, <laughs> the only situation I've seen it gone bad is either if you. Uh, yeah, you you don't install it properly. Sure. Uh, and for goodness sake, if you're installing RAM, ground yourself or, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, in cases where I've seen RAM go bad, uh, most of the time it's due to uh, what, I'll, what I'll call operator error. That's right. <laughs> that, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, once it's in there, you're good. Okay. All right, cool. All right. Adam, take it away. Hi, hi John and Dave. This is Adam. I would really appreciate it if you could help me out. My uh, wife has asked me for Christmas to provide her a solution. It would be so much easier to buy her something, but instead I have to solve this problem that she's having with her MacBook um, Pro. She still has a 17-inch model for some reason. And uh, the problem is that uh, she has an RX100 camera that I bought her last year for Christmas. And uh, it, uh, it's a 20-something 20 20 megapixel camera, and it makes gigantic files. Um, so every time it makes a file, um, uh, we use iFi, or we're trying to use iFi to uh, get it to put pictures onto uh, her computer. And the um, first problem is that it uh, camera needs to be kept awake. Uh, the iFi doesn't want to connect. Um, sometimes the files don't show up. Um, but if they do end up getting to her computer, 
um, they end up taking up a lot of space, especially the video files. In one case, I saw a video file almost one gigabyte in size. And so for a person that has, this is a 256 gigabyte computer, um, you can imagine it fills up the space rather quickly just to have a few videos, um, and she has Dropbox syncing um, files across devices. And that is one of our requirements for the solution is to be able to access uh, her pictures and videos on all our devices. And um, problem is that it's uh, caused a seriously uh, small amount of residual space on her computer to actually run the computer. So what we want is that what she wants is some way to be able to uh, get these files somewhere um, that they can be accessed um, easily, but from all devices, and uh, not have to worry about their size. Um, you know, at some point, I thought maybe I'd put a time capsule on the network, um, but I'm not exactly sure how to do that with the iFi, and I'm not even sure the iFi is a good solution. Um, but uh, and I don't know if it's really that this camera is the problem that just causes the creates these really large files. Um, but the uh, the question is how to uh, what kind of a scheme, NAS drive or whatever, to set up with um, photos going essentially I assume to iPhoto um, after they're automatically taken. Uh, so all we want is the camera to take a picture or videos, have them all centrally deposited, but not take up so much space that they're actually causing the computer to have uh, a shorter space and have uh, you know uh, problems running, crashing, and so forth. Um, all right, we can uh, we can take it there. He he offered some suggestions uh, as well. Um, so this is an interesting question because uh, it it's a it's a scenario that has a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts, and it's if I boil it all down, it sounds like what he's looking for is a way to get pictures off the camera wirelessly to the computer, but not be permanently stored on the computer where they're always taking up space. So, and he did, he suggested NAS drives. Uh, he suggested NAS drives. He suggested um, in the portion of the question you didn't hear, he thought, thought maybe the transporter would work. And I, I think, yeah, the, the transporter may be a, a great solution here because be, perhaps, uh, what you would do is point the iFi destination at the transporter's library folder. Now, your computer sees that, but the data isn't actually stored on your computer. It's just, uh, you know, mounted as a network drive in a, in a sense, if you will. And that way, the computer can see the stuff there. Uh, it can write to it. It can pass things from the camera to it. But you're not... Um, you know, the, the, the data, the data isn't taking up space on the computer. It's living on the transporter uh, with any solution like that. You've then got to be very aware of backing up because the data is now only living in one place. So you've got to solve that problem of backing all that stuff up. But that that could work. Um, he mentioned automatic syncing to Dropbox. The transporter itself doesn't have a way to sync to Dropbox, but the transporter kind of have it has its own Dropbox thing involved. So, uh, you know, its own personal cloud. So that may be enough. Uh, if you do need Dropbox support, then we start talking about a different type of NAS, the Synology disk stations. John, you and I found a, uh, a third party 
uh, package called Cinebox, which is effectively a Dropbox client for the Synology disk station. So it can sync itself to Dropbox. And um, and so that that's another option. And, and then Synology has their cloud station. So you may or may not need that there. Um, it's an interesting but it's an interesting scenario. Um, you know, the, the other thing is you could, uh, depending on how you have iFi set up, um, I, my, what my wife does is she has a smaller hard drive on her uh, on her computer and she doesn't want to store all the pictures in one place or on the computer, but she does want them all in one library. And we actually have her connecting her iPhoto library lives on uh, one of our Synology on. I guess we only run one on our Synology disk station here in the office. And she connects to that over the network and iPhoto, her iPhoto library lives there. She mounts that over the network and reads and writes from it. And it's totally fine. Remember, you know, if you've got a fast, if your NAS can perform fast enough and I've seen the Synology units, uh, regularly and totally soak up my gigabit ethernet pipe. So there's, you know, plenty of bandwidth there and plenty of speed coming to and from the drives that it's probably faster for her to write to that than to write to her local hard drive in her computer. That's going to max out at, you know, maybe a third of that speed. So, um, so, you know, that, that part works fine. And, um, and so that that's another option is just don't even store your iPhoto library locally. Again, you know, backing up when you when you've got data only in one place, you've got to be aware of that. But I, I to me that, you know, those, those are some relatively straightforward, simple solutions. But it, it does require you getting some other hardware. John, I'm eager to hear what you have to say. I got nothing. <laughs> oh, of course. I got plenty. Good. <laughs> So one, unfortunately, Dave, you know, I do have an iFi card, but it 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 went on the blink lately, and I I, I got to revisit them because it 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 yeah, it was the latest X two card, wonderful card, and then all of a sudden my camera and my computer don't recognize it. I'm very sad, so I, I oh, have to. Bad. They do go bad. I, I, I mean, they, they, they do. I I don't know if I zapped it or it just failed or whatever, but I, I got to get back in touch with them. I I think I pinged them once and nothing happened. So um, hi iFi, hi guys. <laughs> Because I love it. I mean, it's very convenient. But here are a couple of suggestions. They do. Have, they Dave. do burn batteries, though. I highly recommend oh, not sure. using an iFi card if you are not using the wireless portion of it. Because um, sure. after each picture, it gets very. Um, yeah. 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 It, it gets very. Yeah. Battery use. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, anyway. in that vein, Dave, um, yeah. the thing is, for every digital camera I've had, I I don't get. I have not one, not two, believe it or not, three batteries. Yeah. So like the, the Lumix, which is my primary camera, I have three batteries. Yep. Uh, so for any of you digital photo hounds, yeah. I mean, don't just have one battery. Come on, man. Right, right. Because <laughs> it just won't last. So a couple of suggestions. Number one, I believe the camera mentioned was the RX100. Correct. The Sony. That's right. Okay. Um, one thing I looked at here, which you may want to consider, um, this shoots in both JPEG and RAW. RAW takes up lots of space. And last I recall, the iFi will give you a choice whether you want to transfer RAW or not. Mm. Consider whether you really need RAW. For me, uh, I think the his thing problem is I, was I, the videos, which are 
compressed. In yeah, yeah. No, way. I understand. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just offering suggestions is that if you don't need raw photos, then don't transfer them. Yep. Um, I personally have not used a camera that does raw and I've been OK with JPEG. So number one, but number two, I think uh, to me, it's almost the simple solution is. Last I checked, I mean, when, when the iFi uploads, it'll upload to any folder or attached drive. So one thing you may want to consider is to have the iFi pointing to a large external USB drive, which I think you kind of suggested, Dave, with an S drive. I'm, I'm going to say a USB drive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you may want to consider that. So consider tossing everything on an external drive because the good news there is you can also, of course, put your iPhoto library or Aperture library on an external drive. Yep. Um, but he said he's using iPhoto. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that I would do, uh, my technique would be to do a multi-stage approach. So what I would do is when I had the iFi is I would have it transfer to a large or to a folder on my local hard drive. And then I would then drag it into, and I believe it's the same for iPhoto or Aperture, is when you drag a group of photos from a folder onto the program, uh, by default, I believe it creates a new, whether it be an album or a project. Um, so if you're okay with this staging your workflow like that, or maybe even creating, and I think I did this as well as I think I even created a small automator script that would actually, uh, take the photos that I dragged onto it. And the ones that I dragged onto there, if you want to get some level of granularity would create a new project for every group of photos that you brought over. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what I got there. So yeah. I think, you know, and this, this is the hesitation that I have, Dave, uh, personally with getting a machine with a very small uh, local hard drive is exactly this reason. Like right now I have, as you know, and it's funny because actually other people have come up with this. I think we may have chatted about this, but right now I have the 750 gig uh, momentous XT from Seagate. And I've seen that actually, I believe Toshiba has also come out with a hybrid uh, hard drive. I think right now I, I saw, I think I saw OWC had one, a Toshiba hybrid one terabyte hard drive for yeah. only a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, I don't, I disagree with that. I, I think it, there will always be. Of course you do. Well, no, I, I know, <laughs> I know. But I, I've gone in a different direction with it. I, I've. And I and this started years ago for me with my music. Collection. No, I get it. I I, I know you. Uh, I, I'm I'm just uh, my worry is that for exactly this reason I'm I'm hesitant to get a machine with a very small local hard drive. Right, but let me Though tell I you why that, that doesn't matter. Go right. So go. I did this years ago. I couldn't fit my music library on my uh, on my local hard drive anymore. Mm -hmm. And this this was back when I was using a laptop as my main machine. And I just had to get used to it. And for years, I, I actually carried around an external USB drive with my music library on it because that's the only way I could do it. And then finally, it was like, no, this is stupid. And so I put it off. I think at the time it was my Drobo FS because that was the only NAS unit I had. Um, and as soon as I did that, it was so liberating. It's like, oh, this I'm, I'm being stupid about having all this space in one spot. I don't need that. I just need space, but it doesn't have to be in one spot. And by, by freeing myself of the requirement that it be in the one computer, I now have the access to, you know, virtually unlimited space uh, with either, you know, a direct attached Drobo or a NAS drive or, or whatever. And then of course it got even better because, because I had 
already decentralized myself and put my photos and my music and my movies on a NAS drive when I moved to Synology a couple of years ago. And they had things like audio station and photo station and video station and Plex. It was easy for me because I just said, oh, well, my stuff's already on here. Point these you know, apps at it. And now, you know, with audio station, I can get my music wherever I am. It doesn't matter. It's like my, I've rolled my own iTunes match and, and the same with photos and all that stuff. So I think detaching from trying to cram it all into your hardware, the, the issue mm-hmm. is you will run into with one drive, you will run into a scenario where you can't store everything you want. So it's better to just assume you're not going to be able that my my feeling is it's better right. to just assume you're not going to be able to do that. And and put it off on on something that's going to be vastly larger and and expandable as opposed to trying to, you know, say, because like you, right, you you now are are have painted yourself into a situation where you can't reasonably afford to run on an SSD on your main machine because you you have this requirement that you you need, you know, a, nearly a terabyte of storage to be able to store all this stuff locally. But if you detached from that and just put your photos on the on the disk station, which would run just fine for you, then you could have a 256 gig SSD in there and and you'd, your, your whole computing experience would be faster. So don't, I, tell, me, don't tell me what to do. I, well, I'm just saying that you've <laughs> you've you've painted yourself I, I into a corner. Have- I, I'm I'm balancing performance with a hybrid drive with storage. Space. I know. And and that's it. You've had to compromise because yes, I, I understand. Yeah, no, I get it. And I'm good with the compromise. Yeah. Until you test it the other way. <laughs> Until you've Perhaps. seen the light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. At some point, I'll admit you're right. I know. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> it, it, I, 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 I beat on you with this stuff long enough. And then someday you're like, oh, actually, I ordered it this way. And I'm just going to do this because it's so much better. I'm like, OK, good. Whew. Excellent. So and we and we but all I, learn I along like, the way. But I like the hybrid drives. I know. I think I know. they're a good compromise. Yeah. I don't I don't feel the need for compromise in my life. I, I just know. Oh. I, I mean, why? Why, why bother? Be, well, because <laughs> I hey, if I, I could get a terabyte SSD for hundred bucks. I I do it in in. in but you don't need a terabyte heartbeat. SSD. You need a couple hundred gigs SSD for yeah. your right for your you know apps. No, and I know what you're saying. And then you no, know, I, I should rethink my yes, my strategy strategy, which yeah. is what we're that's what we're discussing here. That's right, and that so that's what we're doing. Yeah, well, right. so, so, You know, uh, someday I'll change. You know, I know. You know that's yeah, fine. I gotta, it's good. It makes for it makes for a good show. Uh, I mean, look, we've been doing this eight and a half years, so I'm, I'm good. I'm happy. Yeah, I'll admit you're right every now and then. Uh, it's, you know, and, and, and vice versa, my friend. All right. Uh, Robert writes a quick one again. Yeah, oh, it's, uh, it might even be the same Robert. He says uh, it is the same Robert. OK, he says, Hi, Robert, I love this live track that I found on YouTube, but I can't find it for purchase anywhere. What is the best way for me to save the audio track into iTunes? Okay, so um, this is an interesting question because it comes with a couple of different answers. Uh, we did touch. I think I did mention it in the last show, but we're, we're going to do a, a fuller exploration of this. Okay, Robert. Well, it's it's. I mean, we can we can probably be done with this in about three minutes or less. There's two pieces of software yes. that I would go to for something like this. Number one is from. Um, at macxdvd.com, they have a piece of software called uh, YouTube Video Downloader for Mac, and it's free. 
uh, from DigiArty Software. It's Mac X. And I've used this and it's awesome. You take the YouTube URL, you paste it in and they go and it shows you all the different uh, formats that YouTube has and different sizes. And you say, I want to download this one and it downloads it and it will even convert it into, you know, an MP4 file for uh, for you. That's for video. Uh, I believe there's a way to tell it to extract the audio and do things with the audio. Um, but that that's one way of doing that. So. That's uh, that's one piece of software, and we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, it's something I keep around, and because uh, there's some videos that are out there on YouTube that people have put up that are, you know, some. I mean, there's some of this old Steve Jobs footage and stuff that I just want to have, and so I download it. Um, yeah, you can yell at me if you want, but uh, if I could buy it, I would. But it's a lot of this stuff you just can't, you know. So the other way to do uh, just the audio, which is what Robert's initial question was, is to use something like Audio Hijack Pro. Audio Hijack Pro will let you capture audio in real time. In fact, we use it right now to record this show and uh, and and then and you can save the audio. And again, you can save it in a compressed format or an uncompressed format, whatever you want. So you would put install Audio Hijack Pro. You'd point it at Safari. You would say record Safari and then you'd play the video and of course, the audio comes out. Audio Hijack Pro takes the audio that Safari played, saves it to a file, and you're done. So either one of those would solve that problem in uh, in slightly different ways. The YouTube downloaded one does it uh, digitally and just downloads it. Audio Hijack Pro also did, does it digitally, but it does it in real time. So you have to play the um, song, in this case, in its entirety. And Dave, I'm, I'm sad because, number one... This uh, came in the chat room here, which yep. uh, if you're not aware of our chat room, uh, I believe it's at uh, MacGeekApp.com slash stream. Yes, sir. Or during the show, if you'd like to hear us or interact in our IRC chat room, which is just a crazy place. Um, but one of the folks in the chat room just said, hey, Piezo. And and this is actually something that I, I glossed on in in a, a recent show yep. unfortunately piezo does not seem to be able to capture audio from mavericks at this point with safari incorrect sad piezo now has initial compatibility with mac os 10 mavericks as of uh recently i believe really because i just downloaded the latest update on my macbook uh, okay. I, I understand i know they they said okay maybe i have to get a newer update because like two days ago, I ran it on my MacBook Pro with Mavericks and it said, oh, there's a newer version. And I'm like, oh, well, let me try the audio capture. And it still said it didn't no, work. But you're right. According but, to rogamiba.com slash status, Piezo, uh, due to changes made by Apple, Piezo can no longer mm -hmm. capture audio from Safari. So there you go. I'm right. Wow. Okay. Yep. But I know they're working. But, on it. They're trying to figure it out. They're, they're, they're a clever bunch. They're, you well, know, but they're, they're audio wizards, but they do they have a solution. If you want to capture audio, use piezo and capture it from Chrome or Firefox. Yes. So, yeah. So the thing, yeah. And I think the dialogue comes up. It's like, you know, sorry, dude, Safari's kind of messed up. So. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and the other thing I want to toss in here, Dave, is as far as capturing uh, YouTube videos, here's yes. another product um that i found dave and it's called youtube 5 and this is actually a uh safari extension which is very nice and it does a whole bunch of things but one thing that it does is when you're in youtube you can click uh within the uh the the player window so it replaces your player with their player with some tweaks but one thing is you can click and actually choose uh 
typically a number of formats that you want to save it in, whether it be Flash or, or uh, I think even uh, MP4. Um, I don't know if you use this one. I, I, I've uh, I've used this for uh, quite a while here, and uh, you know it it uh, not only works with uh, YouTube, but I think Vimeo, Facebook, and things like that. But it offers a whole bunch of features versus the uh, default uh, Flash player. Yeah, right. So the, the right the the main purpose of YouTube Five is to play video to to not use the Flash player. And to use the HTML5 player, hence the name YouTube 5 extension, uh, it will do these other things. However, over the last couple of years, we've heard a lot from a lot of listeners that have had mm. weird problems with Safari and videos. And in, a, in most of those cases, it's turned out that they have this YouTube 5 extension installed unbeknownst <laughs> to them and removing it solves those problems. So I'm not saying that it causes problems for everyone in every circumstance. But if you do choose to install this, remember that you've done that. And then, you know, if you do run into problems, you know, turn that extension off and see. Well, if that's even better for you when the, when the player comes up, it actually has a link saying revert to original player. Right. No, so but if, having the plug so come the, enabled has caused people problems. It's right. not even the oh, player. Okay. It, the, the reverting doesn't fix it in the in the situations that I that I'm hmm. that we've oh, seen. Okay. Now, that could have been older versions of the extension, but I'm just just putting it out there because that people have a habit of installing like we were talking about with mail earlier. Right. People have a habit of installing extensions into Safari and then forgetting about them. And unlike mail, mm-hmm. Safari doesn't deprecate the extension if it has not been updated for the current flavor of Safari. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. So, all right. Uh, where are we on time here? Because I want to make sure we get through some of this 53. stuff. Fifty-three. All right. Do you want to do this uh, thing about your updater or you want to skip that? Because if you want to do it, go. Which one? All right. So uh, we will move on, I guess, to the cool stuff found. Right. OK. Oh, no. OK. No, very, very quickly. Well, very quickly. Yeah, OK. Yeah. If you're upgrading to Google Drive. So I had this happen. Well, we'll, we'll link to the article. But basically, yeah. so th- this is another OS related issue. So once I upgraded 1091, Google came up and Google has this kind of sneaky upgrade process. And it said, hey, you want to upgrade Google Drive? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. And it got stuck. Basically, I had Google Drive in my menu and it said, click here to update. And I clicked on it and nothing happened. So basically what we'll link to is a support article on the Google Forms that basically tells you how to do uh, terminal magic to complete the upgrade to the Google Drive app if you choose to run that. Oh, it just cool. aggravated me because, yeah, I, I Again, it just came up and it said Google Drive. Click here to complete the update. And I clicked there and nothing happened. I'm like, nice. Uh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so these updates, you know, and it's just a general observation here, Dave. I think that we just have here is these OS updates. I mean, I don't know if they're catching developers by surprise or what. I mean, I, I thought if you're part of the dev program or something, you, you would kind of anticipate these things. But having these things come up between mail plugins and, and stuff like that. Kind of surprises me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, Apple communicates with developers sometimes. 
Right. I mean, no, that's, that's well, I mean, true. I thought 1091 was was kind of a known phenomenon. Oh, no, that, no, no, you know, no. Ha- Don't blame the developers here because every beta of 1091 had individual male build IDs. And then the final release of it had a different build ID. And the developers found out about that the same time you and I did. There's no warning that they get. So, yeah, those guys kept oh, up to shame on Apple. Uh, yeah, those guys kept up to date with it for every one of the betas of 1091 because I was running them. Uh, and then the and then 1091 came out and it's yet a new. ID. Oh, I feel bad for the the devs then. Mm-hmm. Well, hats off to the devs, because like I mentioned to you, the two mail updates within a day. Yeah, they had the updates. Yeah, uh, well, it's a, it's a trivial thing for them to to make the update to that PLS right. file. Yeah, I mean, again, you can do it yourself, and that's what that that uh, that app that we talked about earlier will do. All right, so we've got some cool things here. It being the holiday season, the uh, so you may hear this uh, if you celebrate Christmas. You may hear this before Christmas. Uh, you may hear this after. Um, so you you might either be buying a last minute stocking stuffer, or you might be treating yourself to something with uh, with one of those gift cards that you got for uh, for Christmas. So so we've got some ideas for you. Uh, Daniel wrote and said, uh, I found this thing called the Wally stick on and I've ordered one, but it's not arrived yet. So I figured I would share and it's from uh, distillunion.com. It's a pretty cool looking thing if you're willing to stick something to the back of your iPhone. But, you know, we've talked about wallets and having, you know, some credit cards on your iPhone and uh, and this Wally thing does that. But without putting a case around your iPhone, it's a leather backing that you stick onto the back of your phone and it holds your credit cards and all that stuff. It's actually it looks pretty slick and uh, and yet doesn't, you know, encase your phone in a case if you're if you're not into that. So uh, so we put that out there. That's uh, that's the Wally stick on. All right. Um, something I found, John, and I, I uh, I'm going to grab the box so that I'm sure that I have the. Uh, all the right details. I, um, where are you going, man? I'm back. Where are you? Uh, I am not a fan of condenser microphones for podcasting without being able to, con- especially USB condenser microphones, uh, because without being able to control the gain on them very closely, they tend to pick up a lot of room noise and, uh, and be very bouncy and, and not very good. Uh, so, but you know, there are some, the blue, the blue Yeti, uh, was one that, that, well, it has a gain control on it. So that made it totally usable. And I, when I travel, that's the mic that I've used. I got another microphone from blue recently called the Nessie N E S S I E. They were showing it off a prototype of it at CES last year. So you may have seen pictures of this thing. It kind of looks like the Loch Ness monster, at least the Loch Ness monster's head, hence the name Nessie. And, uh, <laughs> And it, it, it does not have gain control on it. So at first I was like, uh, am I wasting my time plugging this thing in? Since I'm talking to you about it, you know the answer to that. No, I wasn't wasting my time. I was pleasantly surprised, uh, although I hate to be pleasantly surprised by condenser microphones in this sense because I just have a, a natural uh, aversion to them uh, for, for podcasting uh, and for Skype and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but I but I'm, but this one proves me wrong. It's the exception to the rule. So the, what they've done, though, is very interesting. They have three settings on this mic. It's 100 bucks. Uh, it obviously has its own stand built in. It has a little mute switch built in. Uh, 
It also has audio out so you can plug your headphones into this and it's got this cool volume knob that's part of the bass. Uh, and so you can hear yourself and the other party if you want to do things that way. But uh, what they've done is they've got three settings on this. One is what they call a flat setting where it's just raw microphone. And in that, when you have it in flat, it acts just like a USB condenser mic that that has no gain control does. And it you pick, it picks up a lot of room noise and it's very bouncy and, and all of that stuff. When you put it into vocal mode, though, uh, it's it, it it has it's not just a gain reduction. It there is processing going on inside this thing, and it adds. It clearly is adding some compression uh, to the signal. Uh, it's it's doing. It feels like to me that it's doing automatic gain control. So it's constantly adjusting the gain based on you talking into it. And even if I have the mic a few feet away from me. People that I'm talking to on Skype, I wouldn't do that for this podcast. I would have it much closer like I do with the, with the, uh, with the PR 40 I'm on, but, um, but it sounds really good and it doesn't get all bouncy and yet it still has kind of a warm tone and, and all that. And then they have a third mode that uh, is the uh, instrument mode and that's built for higher sound pressure levels and, and things like that. So definitely worth checking out if you are a microphone geek uh, or even if you just want, you know, I mean, it's a hundred bucks, so it's not an impulse buy for most of us. Uh, but, uh, but if you want a good mic to do Skype from your desk with, this is not a bad one to consider. Uh, and it is a hundred bucks. So, uh, so that's the Nessie. So I throw that out there, John, I have to, I love, I want to, I really want to talk about this nest, this next one. Um, you know, we talked about that brick, that brick phone. Uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago, right? And then I talked about the banana phone, and then you which talked to about, me, right? Is the largest iPhone case in history? That's which right. I think was the acclaim to fame. That's right. <laughs> yes. For, and for if you know somebody with these, you are privileged because I mean, to me, it's just. And then there's banana phone song. But anyway, uh, uh, go. Uh, so in that same vein, um, is <laughs> the the Bluetooth gloves now. When Louie wrote in mm-hmm. and told us about these, I was like, Bluetooth gloves, banana Why phone. Need, what? what are you talking about? And then I looked at the picture and there's a dude and you got to see this picture. I'll put it in the chat room. Obviously, we'll put the uh, the link in the show notes. But there's this dude that has his thumb in his ear and his pinky out by his mouth, making the hand gesture that we all make uh, to simulate yeah, being on yeah. the phone. And that's the phone. So they are, it is gloves that are a Bluetooth handset. Oh no. I know. <laughs> and it's 30 bucks. So, uh, so, you know, I mean, come on, you know, and after December. Oh, so by the time you hear this, it might be uh 50 bucks. They might go up uh, 20, but, um, <laughs> but I, I just couldn't, you know, I, I, although I'm a peaceful man, I'd almost be, <laughs> <laughs> prone to violence if i saw somebody it's pretty that. i know but it's pretty freaking awesome if you ask me <laughs> so we had to we had to share that um another piece of software that oh can, can i get i got oh all right go ahead you got some you oh yeah you, well that's right you see you snuck it into the agenda so i didn't know to move it up it, you put it in the the list of that where i asked you if you wanted to jump so uh let me do this one then and then and then take yours yeah so um dominic fiera who worked at ambrosia software where where hector our bird uh worked for for many years 
Uh, he was one worked of, or or, tr- or ruled. She ruled with, an iron. with, her, with her iron beak. That's right. Uh, she, uh, so Dominic was one of the lead engineers on Wiretap Studio over there, and uh, he has gone off on his own and has a company called Static Z Software. And their first product is out. It is called Sound Siphon, and it is um, a way to make your sounds audio out your max audio output treated as an audio input. So, um, so it, it, very handy. For example, for to solve Robert's problem earlier in the show, right? He's got audio coming out of his Mac with this song, but he can't record that. But he could record with QuickTime, even just with QuickTime player, he could record audio coming in from his microphone. Well, Sound Siphon takes the audio coming out of his Mac and treats it like audio coming into his Mac. So you could point QuickTime at the Sound Siphon input and record it just like it's a microphone, even though it's your Mac's audio kind of looping back in on itself. So uh, so hopefully that explains what it is. And there's a little demo you can you can download and it can do per app capture in, in Mavericks and all of that. So he could point it uh, at just one app and, and pull that down. So, uh, so good on you, Dominic. It's great that, uh, that you're out there doing that and I'm totally stoked to see it happen. So, so there you go. That's uh, sound siphon. John, what do you got? Mm-hmm. Dave, I have both a cool stuff found, at least in my humble opinion mm-hmm. and a tip. So, the cool stuff found. So I was getting kind of tired. So so my network here, Dave, my Wi-Fi network is almost exclusively 802.11 N devices, except for this one problem child. And that's my 802.11 G TO uh, adapter. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? And and I was actually researching another TiVo question for a listener. And so I went to their store and I stumbled across this, Dave. And it surprised me because I did not know that this existed. And TiVo actually has, and it'll work on. So, so both you and I, Dave, I think we, we both have the uh, rather dated, but still highly functional, in my opinion, maybe not all the latest features, uh, TiVo Series 3, which was the first release that would support HD video. I, I do still have one of those. I also have a Premiere. The Premiere is in the living room. Uh, oh, you do? Okay. Oh, yeah, and I dude. think this it, device... It's nice having the premiere with all the extra fee. And now the premiere is one model old, but being able to totally control right. it with the iPhone app and, and all of that, it, it, it's cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. And now they got the Romeo and you know, the Juliet will be coming at some point. But anyways, so Dave, I was looking for a way. Can I, you know, up my game here with, with my TiVo series three, because I got the G and the thing is, as you may know, is, you know, if you have a, a Wi-Fi network supporting older protocols, may reduce your total system performance. I think that's a safe thing to say, correct? Uh-huh. It may. It may. Right. That's right. Yeah, it, it, it reduces may. the size of the packets, I think, is part of what goes on. Yeah, so so optimally, if you can get everybody on the same protocol, in this case, in my household, it's 802.11n, yep. that's a good thing. And the, the TiVo adapter was the only thing. Well, I found this, Dave. They offered this at TiVo. I found, I, I went in the TiVo store and I saw this thing called a TiVo factory renewed 802.11n adapter. And I'm like, well, that's for me. And so the thing is, Dave, it only costs 60 bucks. Oh, you know, but, uh, versus the, 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 you know, price of the new one. 
and but it's kind of funky. But the thing is, it leads to a tip, which is why I want to mention it, Dave. So number one, if you know somebody, and I'll have to find the sport article because uh, uh, I think the TiVo Series Three and even prior ones can support this. The thing is, you know, if you look at the the throughput, 802.11G is 54 megabits, right? 802.11N is at least uh, potentially twice as fast. It's at least least 150, if not 300 or 450. That's right. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, well, you know, let me go for it. But the thing is, it's it's different. So where's the 802G adapter plugged into the USB port on the TiVo? This plugged into the Ethernet port. So, number one, kind of a, a, a finger wag at them. They show you a picture of this adapter. The thing is, what they don't show you is that it comes with this wacky adapter cable where you got to plug in power and blah, blah. And it plugs into the Ethernet port on the TiVo. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. The thing is, number one, it definitely improved the throughput. So I, I use some of the uh, TiVo utilities, like I think iTiVo, to transfer video from my computer to the TiVo. And before, with the 802G adapter, it would actually get to a point where it would, it would block. It would overload it and that it couldn't get the video. The, the thing is that the, the TiVo was not able to consume the data fast enough. Um, right? Right. Whereas with the N1, now because, now because I'm getting speeds uh, uh, two times faster, I can actually transfer HD video over to the TiVo and I don't get the uh, problem with it, uh, you know, buffering. Oh, uh, yeah. Huh. So I'm pretty groovy with that. But then number two, so I was, I was yakking about this. And then uh, our, our good friend, Brian Monroe, mm-hmm. he was like, well, that's interesting. Now, the thing is, that when you think about this, Dave, so this is plugging. So the way you configure it is you actually plug it into your computer first via Ethernet, via this wacky adapter, and you configure it as an access point. Mm-hmm. It has an IP address. You know what, Dave? This is actually a little baby. It's a it's a bridge. Exactly. It's, and yeah. that is what our friend Brian pointed out to me. He's like, is this a bridge? Now, the thing is, oddly enough, this thing has a switch on the bottom saying bridge or client and it's in client mode because you can actually uh, right. uh relay these things right you can right. actually get two of them but but the point that brian brought up to me and thank you very much brian is that he said he's actually done this so the, right now when i go to the tivo when i say tell me about my network connection it doesn't show me a usb adapter with signal strength and all that it says i'm connected to ethernet right because it because your tivo is connected to ethernet because what Brian brought up, and, and the, here's a little trick Brian brought up, and he said he's done this. You could also do this with something like an Airport Express. Sure. Nothing is in this case, this is 60 bucks, so it's less expensive, and it does exactly right. what I want, so I'm happy with it. But he suggested that if you took an airport and put it in bridge mode, in yeah. an expensive airport, like an Airport Express, you could accomplish the same thing with the TiVo and perhaps other uh, DVRs that use Ethernet to connect to the but you world. Could, I mean, so I you could buy a, a $50 D-Link router and install DD Wirt on it and do the same thing. Right. So I thought that was a wonderful tip. So even though this, again, is is uh, does what I need, um, putting a Wi-Fi access point in bridge mode and connecting to at least my model of TiVo and yours and perhaps other DVRs. Not my particular series three. I have. Yeah. You told me you had issues. It's ethernet port works, but there's something wrong with it. It won't other devices on the network. Won't see it unless it has connected to them uh, in the last, uh, you know, five minutes. I I think there's, it's gotta be that. Well, it's either that it needs like a firmware update 
um, which is to say that it needs to be wiped out and, and restarted or that somewhere along the line over the years, um, I got a power spike that, that fried some level of the ethernet Ooh. controller. I don't, I, I mean, right. those are the only things that come to mind because I tried it with power line down in our, our playroom and, mm-hmm. and I had this problem and I thought, well, maybe it's something to do with power line down there. Could, you know, it could be. And then I ran a, an ethernet cable to a, to the same switch that our other TiVo was in and it did the same thing. So I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's not power line's fault. <laughs> So yeah, it sucks. I have I have to use the G adapter mm. with our TiVo, but I get. I mean, I've never had problems streaming HD to it, um, but it could be that I'm much closer to our access mm-hmm. point than than your TiVo is to yours, and y- you know what I mean. So it it may yeah yeah yeah. So I guess what I'm saying. So the tip is in general, and I, we've talked about it before, but you know, yeah, mention it again. A uh, any sort of Wi-Fi access point uh, in bridge mode. Could um well acts in this case it's, it's doing exactly that it's yeah. it's basically acting as a virtual not not Ethernet speeds but it's acting acting similar power line as a virtual uh network connection yeah virtual cable yeah actually you, so it, I'm very happy with the so I'm happy with the TiVo device um again finger wag because they don't show you all the you, I mean it's a power supply and a wacky cable and the device itself right. Um, but they only show the device itself. Uh, right. Of course. <laughs> of course. Because I get it. And I'm like, what's all this other extra stuff? <laughs> all right. Two all right. quick ones from, I believe, two different Scots. Number one, uh, first Scott, a couple of months ago, we uh, mentioned that he was on a quest for finding the way to have Safari zoom in by site he wants certain websites to be zoomed in and others to be at sorry safari's default zoom and um and we weren't able to help him uh he was able to help himself he found a safari extension called safari zoom by site and it does exactly what uh what he was looking for and he says it's been working great so we uh we will throw that one into the show notes and uh and and if you want that functionality, then go download it. I think it's free. Um, I will check that right now just to make sure. Cause I like to be sure about that. Yeah. Yeah. It looks to be free. Perhaps shareware. It's hard to say. I think it's just free. So, uh, so that's, that's one from Scott. And then the, uh, the other Scott, and I believe, yes, it is a different Scott. He says, we just had our yearly holiday party. We played the same music throughout the house. We do not have Sonos, though I will be looking at that when I move back to the USA. But I did the next best thing. Since I installed Airfoil from Rogue Amoeba on my Mac and their speakers app on every iPod Touch we have. He says their second gen device is running iOS 5. I then took each iPod and connected them to speakers in various rooms via the headphone jack. Now I simply played my Christmas playlist from my Mac. The result was the same music everywhere in the house at the same time. Since I know it's not as simple as Sonos, but it is a lot cheaper. And I did it with spare stuff around the house. And that totally will work. Um, that that's that I love it. I think it's awesome. Uh, we had a similar setup here for a while uh, before we got Sonos and, um, and it, yeah, it works. It's like you said, it's, it, it's functional. It's not as elegant. Um, and I'm curious to check out, you know, Sonos has been around for a while. And I've always complained that no one is truly competing with them. 
Um, Bose and Samsung now uh, have products that that begin to approximate that. So I'm going to be checking those out and I'll let you know what. Uh, oh, well, Dave, you know, that is awesome because I find this time of year, I, I have great difficulty in finding places I can go to that are not playing Christmas music. I know, John. It'll it'll be over soon I'm kidding. for you. I'm kidding. Humbug, <laughs> get off my lawn. Uh, get off. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I mean, every time I go to the grocery store, it's it's a constant reel of. So I, do, I just like a little. I like a little variety in my life. I understand it's the holidays and yeah. Christmas and all that great stuff. I, you but, know, uh, I have found that Pandora. A little rock and roll track every now and then. Well, or maybe rock and roll Christmas music. There that, we go. That's what I was going to say. Cheesy, instead of cheesy remakes or, uh, you know, cheesy. Uh, uh, yeah. We use Pandora. Uh, I want variety. Pandora's Rockin' Holidays or Rockin' Holiday Mix really? or something. Okay. It's awesome. And we and, 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 we and of course Pandora links with Sonos. So with a with a Sweet. flip of a button, we have Rockin' Holidays throughout the house. And it actually works. Great. I need I need Rockin' Holidays. Yeah, okay, you do. I'll, I'll fire my Pandora. Yeah. Yeah. Which is on my TiVo. If I last I checked, I can That's do Pandora right. on my TiVo. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm gonna do it. That's awesome. All right, well, we are wrapping this up, so uh, we will have one more podcast before the end of the year. Uh, we're doing one again next weekend. And, John, I was thinking, I hadn't, I hadn't shared this with you, but what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to go back through and look at, uh, I'm probably not going to listen to every episode because I don't think I have 50, <laughs> 60 hours to do that. But um, I am That's going dumb. to look back at all of our show notes and stuff from the last year and and uh, and to sort of remind myself of, of what we've been through over the last year. And, and uh, maybe we'll have a, a uh, we won't spend the whole episode reminiscing, uh, but we'll have a bit of a retrospective portion of it. Uh, speaking of reminiscing, though, I want to tell you about something. Um, yes. yes. Uh, January 24th of the um, of next year, 2014, will be 30 years since the Macintosh was introduced. And I've been very excited about this and haven't been able to say anything until, well, yesterday. But um, they are doing, uh, Gabriel Franklin, who's a filmmaker in conjunction with the Computer History Museum and Macworld iWorld, is putting on uh, a, uh, a celebration in Cupertino at the Flint Center, where I believe it was where, where the first Mac was introduced. Uh, and they're going to have members of the original Mac team speak. They say there's going to be special guests there between us. I think that includes Waz is going to be there. Um, Ridley Scott's going to be there to talk about the ad. Um, Dan, I think Dan Cockey's going to be there. Steve's uh, old roommate. Uh, and Dan's a great guy. He's um, he's the one that went to India with Steve and all that stuff. But uh, and then and then for me, uh, the, 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 the sort of the linchpin is that the whole thing is going to be capped off by a musical performance by the Macworld All-Star Band. We've been invited to play, so uh, so I'll be going out there for that. And uh, and that's January 25th in Cupertino. And we'll put a link in the show notes um, about the, uh, the, the um, you know, how you can get tickets and, and all of that good stuff. So, so that's, uh, I'm excited about this, John. This is good, right? No? I'd be. I think so. The Macworld All-Star Band. I know company outstanding. I I, isn't that awesome. I was really maybe maybe I can maybe I can fly out or drive out or train out or something. You can well you could fly out. We might be able to get you a ticket. 
So. Ooh. Oh, okay. Tempting. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Uh, Lisa's right. going. But Lisa's coming with me for this one. So she's finally going to get to see the band play. She's never seen the Macworld All Star. Isn't that amazing? I mean, she's seen us on video, me? but she's never been in oh. the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now she gets to come to where we're playing at the Flint Center, which is like, you know, it's a 2,000-seater or something. Just, you know, hey, that's Sweet. pretty good. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So there you go. So that, so that I'm excited about that. So the, the, that link will be in the show notes. What? I need to sign in. What's going on, Google? Okay. You've got some major... <laughs> I don't know, folks, behind the scenes, this, this, uh, today was just a, a cascade of bad fortune. But I'll say. You don't know that because. We aim to please here. Well, and I offered some sage advice to my esteemed colleague here, and, and he fixed it. No, you know what? That's actually a good little tip to throw in. That One last pre-Christmas tip. Um, we were having a problem. I updated, uh... Audio Hijack Pro and NiceCast this week, which um, which I use, as I mentioned, to record the show and the NiceCast to stream it. And I, you know, I, I tested it to make sure that it launched and it I, I tested it to make sure that I could capture my own audio here. And I'm like, OK, great. We're great. So then I went through and when John and I synced up earlier tonight, I did all my things and John's audio sounded weird. And I realized it wasn't capturing Skype for, for me. And I have things set up in a weird way. So this may or may not happen for you if you try it with the latest version, but it wouldn't work at all for me. And I was like, dang it. And uh, I'm like, I don't know if we could do the show. And John said, and I'm trying to solve it and trying to solve it with the existing version. And John said, well, I, I assume you've you've thought about rolling back to a previous version which i had not yet that I, worked well yeah right roll back to what works and and you know as geeks we always i always like we always like to move forward and you know solve problems but when you're when it's showtime and the show must go on well Sometimes what you got to do is go with what works, which is why this machine doesn't have Mavericks on it yet. I mean, there's, you know, I'm pretty careful about this, but I've never had a problem with an AHP update, but they changed some fundamental things. So I sent them a note. We'll, it'll be fine. But yeah, that's great advice. And Time Machine came to the rescue. Um, I just, you know, went into Time Machine, grabbed the old version, brought it out and golden. So thanks, John. Yeah, you saved you saved all of our bacon today. Well, if anything, it, you saved it, Christmas. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, I don't but, know about um, that yeah. but no, I, I've, I've seen this, and, and I, I would almost hint, Dave, uh, that being a software type of guy, this is the importance of what I'll call version control. Yep. So when you have something that works, you take a snapshot, and you're good. And then if somewhere down the line something is not working, you always have a way. If you use version control, whether it be Git or Subversion or whatever, or Time Machine, then you can go back to a prior version that you know worked. Absolutely. So. All right. If you have a tip, if you have a question, or if you just want to wish us Merry Christmas, feedback at MacGeekUp.com is the email address to use. And I believe I heard you, Dave. Now, you can, you could also wish us Merry uh, or Happy Hanukkah or... Well, it's over. Hanukkah's Festivus. Over. Festivus oh, is tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Festivus. So, so if you want to wish us a, a Merry Festivus, you could also send us an email at feedback at MacGeekUp.com. 
That's right. And and if you want to, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, if you want to wish us a happy new year, you could do that to feedback at MacGeekGab.com as well. And of course, if you are a premium member, you get to use premium at MacGeekGab.com. You can learn all about how to become a premium member at MacGeekGab.com on the web. Uh, what else? Uh, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is? 4335. Now, the thing is, email takes a while, and we do have a big stack of email to go through. So if you want immediate satisfaction, um, there's the Twitters, which uh, Dave and I and, uh, well, everybody is almost always paying attention to. But if you're on the Twitters, the podcast is Mac Egab. I am John Efron. He is Dave Hamilton. The publication is Mac Observer. All on Twitter.com. But there's more. There is more. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Um, I don't know. Where else can they find us? I think that's it, right, John? We've been rambling for a while. This is the longest end of a show we've had in a long time. Well, to wrap it up, Dave, um, you know, if you want to give us a gift, uh, hopefully it's a gift. Uh, iTunes has a comments section. If you go to iTunes and you look up MacGeekGab, you can enter a comment that would be an excellent Christmas gift for us. If you haven't left us an iTunes comment yet, yeah, I would. that would be awesome. What a, what an awesome thing. Because yeah, when you really comment, help. it helps us. Yeah. It helps us do a better job. It helps expose the podcast and grow the Mac Geek App community, which I think is a good thing because we not only help you, but you and the community help us. Yes. And we thank you for it. All right. Uh, so I want to thank Michael Johnston. Uh, and I'll wish Michael Johnston a Merry Christmas as well. Michael converts the show to AAC and adds all those chapters for us and for you. Michael is also the host of We Have Communicators and uh, the publisher of GetAppler.com. So check both of those things out. I think you'll, uh, if you like this podcast and you have an iOS device, I think you're going to love We Have Communicators as well. So I'll also thank Cashfly for, uh, for all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes uh, BB Edit from Barebones Software, a software, of course. Uh, it includes Text Expander and PDF Pen from Smile, Gazelle.com for selling all your stuff, Squarespace, as we mentioned, MGG12, and a special coupon code at Connected Data. Go to FileTransporter.com, use MGG30, and you get a $30 discount on a one terabyte transporter, but you got to do it before. Uh, 1231. So check all that out. Uh, have a, if you celebrate Christmas, have a very Merry Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, have an awesome Wednesday. And, uh, and we'll see on the flip side uh, for our final show of the year. John, lasting advice for anyone here? As always, don't get caught. Made up. Hey, John, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. (laughs) 